The following is a presentation of God Questions Ministries. Should a church be seeker-sensitive? In recent years, a new movement within the evangelical church has come into vogue, commonly referred to as seeker-sensitive. Generally, this movement has seen a great deal of growth. Many seeker churches are now megachurches with well-known pastors who are riding a wave of popularity in the evangelical world. The seeker-sensitive movement claims millions of conversions, commands vast resources, continues to gain popularity, and seems to be attracting millions of unchurched people into its fold. So what is this movement all about? Where does it come from? And, most importantly, is it biblical? Basically, the seeker-sensitive church tries to reach out to the unsaved person by making the church experience as comfortable, inviting, and non-threatening to him as possible. The hope is that the person will believe in the gospel. The idea behind the concept is to get as many unsafe people through the door as possible, and the church leadership are willing to use nearly any means to accomplish that goal. Theatrics and musical entertainment are the norm in the church service to keep the unsafe person from getting bored, as he does with traditional churches. State-of-the-art technology and lighting and sound are common components of the seeker-sensitive churches, especially the larger ones. Expertly run nurseries, daycare, adult daycare, community programs such as ESL, that's English as a second language, and much more are common fixtures in the larger seeker churches. Short sermons, typically 20 minutes at most, are usually focused on self-improvement. Supporters of this movement will say that the single reason behind all the expense, state-of-the-art tech gear, and theatrics is to reach the unsaved with the gospel. However, rarely are sin, hell, or repentance spoken of, and Jesus Christ as the exclusive way to heaven is rarely mentioned. Such doctrines are considered divisive. The seeker-sensitive church movement has pioneered a new method for founding churches involving demographic studies and community surveys that ask the unsaved what they want in a church. This is a kind of if-you-build-it-they-will-come mentality. The reasoning is that if you give the unsaved better entertainment than they can receive elsewhere, or do church in a non-threatening way, then they will come, and hopefully they will accept the gospel. The mindset is to hook the unchurched person with great entertainment, give him a message he can digest, and provide second-to-none services. The focus of the seeker church, then, is not Christ-centered, but man-centered. The main purpose of the seeker church's existence is to give people what they want, or meet their felt needs. Further, the seeker-friendly gospel presentation is based on the idea that if you will believe in Jesus, He will make your life better. Relationships with your wife or husband, co-workers, children, etc. will be better. The message the seeker church sometimes passes on to the unsaved person is that God is a great cosmic genie, and if you stroke Him the right way, you will get what you want. In other words, if you profess to believe in Jesus... God will give you a better life, better relationships, and purpose in life. So, for all intents and purposes, the seeker-sensitive movement is a type of system based on giving unbelievers whatever they want. What too often happens in such a system is that people make a profession of faith, but when the circumstances of their lives don't immediately change for their material good, they forsake Christ, believing He has failed them. How are people responding to the seeker movement? Many people have responded and begun attending seeker-sensitive churches. Many people indeed have come to faith in Christ as a result of a seeker-sensitive church. But the bigger question is, what does God have to say about all this? Is it possible for a movement to be successful from a human perspective, 
but be unacceptable to God. The basic premise in the seeker-sensitive movement is that there are many people out there who are seeking God and want to know Him, but the concept of the traditional church scares them away from faith in Christ. But is it true that people are truly seeking God? Actually, Scripture teaches the exact opposite. The Apostle Paul tells us that there is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. Romans 3 verse 11. This means there is no such thing as an unbeliever who is truly seeking for God on his own. Furthermore, man is dead in his sin, Ephesians 2 verse 1, and he cannot seek God because he doesn't recognize his need for him, which is why Paul says that there is no one who understands. Romans 1 verses 20 through 23 teaches us that all unbelievers reject the true God. They then go on to form a God that is what they want, a God in their image, or the image of something else. This is a God they can tame and control. Romans 1 verses 18 through 20 says they knowingly suppress what they know about God through His creation, and that they are subject to God's wrath, another doctrine studiously avoided by the seeker churches. God's invisible attributes are clearly seen in creation, but unbelievers take that clear knowledge and revelation God has graciously provided and flatly reject it. This leads to Paul's statement in Romans 1 verse 20 that they are without excuse. What man finds when he seeks on his own is nothing more than a God of his own creation. Man does not seek for God. It is God who seeks for man. Jesus said that plainly in John 15 verse 16 and John 6 verse 44. The idea of thousands or even millions of unbelievers really searching for the true God is an utterly unbiblical notion. Thus, this movement is based on an unbiblical concept of the nature of the unsaved person, which is spiritually dead. A spiritually dead person does not seek God, nor can he. Therefore, there is no such thing as a seeking unbeliever. He does not understand the things of God until he is made alive by the Spirit of God. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 14 Until the Father draws him, John 6 verse 44, and the Spirit awakens the heart so he can believe and receive the gift of faith, Ephesians 2 verse 8, an unsaved person cannot believe. Salvation is completely the act of God, whereby he draws and empowers the dead sinner with what is necessary to believe, John 6 verse 37 and verses 39 and 40. What part do we play in the salvation of others? God has commanded that we are the instrumentality through which the gospel is proclaimed. We share the gospel, but it is not our responsibility to make people believe, or even try to be persuasive or manipulate them into believing. God has given us the message of the gospel. We are to share it with gentleness and reverence, but we are to share it, offensive parts and all. Nobody believes the gospel because a speaker is persuasive. People believe because of the work of God in their hearts. God has not been vague on what His church is to be like. He did not leave us guessing. He has given us direction on how men are to lead His church. Acts 6, verses 1 through 6. Titus 1, verses 5 through 9. The ordinances of the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And the worship in the church. It is to be on the Lord's day. And it is to consist of preaching and teaching, prayer and fellowship. Acts 2, verse 42. And the taking of an offering. Colossians 3, verse 16. Here the seeker movement has missed the mark completely with its man-centered focus. When an unsaved person enters church, should our goal be to make him feel as comfortable as possible? When it comes to an issue like our kindness, speaking respectfully, or even physical comfort, all who enter the church should be treated well. But the unsaved person should never feel at home in church, which is the body of Christ. 
the preaching and teaching of truth should make him feel very uncomfortable as he hopefully realizes the state of his soul, comes to know the existence of hell, and recognizes his need for a Savior. This discomfort is what brings people to Christ, and those who attempt to circumvent discomfort are not being loving. In fact, just the opposite is true. If we love someone, we want him to know the truth about sin, death, and salvation, so we can help him avoid an eternity in hell. According to Paul, when an unbeliever enters the church and the word of God is preached expositionally, that is taught directly from the scriptures, he will be convicted and called into account for his sin. The secrets of his heart are disclosed as he confesses and repents of his sin. This leads him to humble himself and worship the God who has provided the sacrifice for his salvation. If we apply the standards of the seeker-sensitive movement to evaluate Jesus' ministry, we get some interesting results. Jesus was preaching to thousands, and he clearly offends nearly all of those who heard him. They desert him, and from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. John 6, verse 66. The Greek words in this verse mean they left and never came back. Jesus warned us that, far from healing our relationships with others, Christians will experience rifts in their closest relationships because of him. Matthew 10, verses 34 through 37. It is true that once we are saved, life is better because we are reconciled to God and have a right relationship with Him. This provides the deepest peace that can be known. However, the rest of our lives will almost certainly be more difficult than before. God has said that we will experience persecution. Matthew 10, verse 25. The rest of the world will look down upon us as fools. 1 Corinthians 1, verses 18 and 23. And we may even experience deep divisions in our own families because of Christ. Luke 12, verse 53. Jesus never intended for us to be popular with unbelievers, saying instead that he came not to bring peace, but a sword. Matthew 10, verse 34. The basic philosophy, theology, purpose, and end of the seeker-sensitive movement are entirely man-centered. However, some would say that regardless of the purpose, motive, and outcome of the movement being wrong, we can't argue with the principle of getting the unsaved through the doors to hear the gospel. Certainly, any exposure we can give the unsaved to the gospel is a great thing. However, the seeker-sensitive movement sometimes doesn't have the real gospel. Rather, it is a shell of the truth. It is hollow and void of the truths of sin, hell, and the holiness of God. How is the rest of the body of Christ to respond to the seeker-sensitive movement? We are to contend earnestly for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Jude verse 3. We are to be all the more vigilant to model our churches after the instruction of Scripture. Eventually, this movement, like all others which have come and gone over the years, will run its course and fizzle out. The seeker movement is large and well accepted, but it will eventually give way to the next fad. And in some ways, that has already happened, with the emerging church movement. Oddities within the church come and go, but the biblical church, like her Lord, endures forever. God Questions Ministry seeks to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by providing biblical answers to today's questions. Online at gotquestions.org.